at One Day University. We feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I am your host, Erica Hansen. Welcome, welcome to another week of the show. Let's get some house cleaning or housekeeping out of the way before we get to today's topic, which will be part two of my discussion on neuroplasticity. First, I want to let you know if you're interested, um, if you find this show interesting and enjoy it, I'd like to alert you to a new podcast we have going on, fairly new. She's been here a few months, I believe. Um, Buffy Williams. She has a show on the NHEG network on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. She focuses on education, much like I do disability, breaking down the differences um, and the improvements that can be made in educational systems. So I encourage you to check her out. This show, of course, is Thursdays at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, and 4 p.m. Eastern. I do have my Zoom chat up, as always, if you'd like to talk to me during this show. This show is live, so you can call in to talk to me. Please call 1-646-558-8600. Five, six, that's a United States number through New York. Your long distance charges will apply. Or if you'd like to join our Zoom meeting, the Zoom meeting ID is 465-172-882. I welcome comments and questions. So by all means, check in with me. Um, if you'd like to email me, if you prefer email, um, my email is Erica H, that's Erica with a K, H as in Harry, at newheightseducation.org. So, let's go ahead and get started on neuroplasticity. If you remember last week, I talked about um, this concept of neuroplasticity that says that the brain can rewire itself to compensate for areas of the brain that may have been damaged 
either at birth or due to a traumatic brain injury later in life. Um, it was believed until about the early 70s into the 80s that once you sustained a traumatic brain injury um, and had a damaged area of the brain, that was pretty much it. You, there was no real recovery from that. And any, anyone who did re recover some skills that were lost in the original brain injury, that was an outlier. Um, beginning in the 70s, neuro, uh, neurologists and neuroscientists took another look at the brain and found that we are able to create new connections in our brain to compensate for the connections we lost with the original brain injury. So for example, I, my right side of my body is weak due to my cerebral palsy. Um, through learning and training, I was able to train my brain to use my left hand as my dominant writing hand. Now, that may seem simple, but what we think of as repetition and um, just learning is actually a complete bypassing of the damaged area of the brain and complete rewiring so I am able to complete a task with my left hand, which is stronger than my right hand, which is weaker. Um, so when we learn things, in general, when we learn things, there is quite a bit of activity going on in the brain so we can either create new paths, for example, as we learn new languages, or reroute um, systems that normally we wouldn't have due to an injury to another side of the brain that has more capacity to deal with those in you know deal with those skills. Um, another example I used, and I'll use it here in case any of you missed the first episode of this. Um, my, my spatial ability, the way I navigate space, the way I feel my body in space was damaged, um, at birth. So my brain rerouted that skill, you know, uh, spatial awareness to a completely different side of the brain. Um, this happened because obviously I needed spatial awareness to be able to navigate and I'm not perfect at it, but my brain was able to compensate so that I can at least get around without walking into walls all the time. Um, the consequence of this is that my brain had to reroute that skill into another area of the brain that traditionally only handles mathematics. And that part of the brain had to make room for this new skill called spatial recognition, spatial awareness. That means that 
less resources were given to the mathematics skill in that same region of the brain. Consequence, I'm not good at math. Um, I actually have a learning disability um, for math. And, you know, it's really good to actually know why and how that works. So I find neuroplasticity extremely fascinating and important. Um, I want to specify that we do this all the time. Uh, we do this when we learn. Um, when a child learns a new skill, um, this is how we learn a new skill. We do it by repetition and the neurons create new pathways in our brain. If we keep it up and if we um, continue to use that skill, then that connection is reinforced, while other connections that we don't use as much die off because our brain thinks, well, she's not using those connections. They may not, they must not be as pertinent or valuable anymore. Um, so it is a normal thing to happen. I, but our brains do this also in case of damage. Um, so that's why I'm speaking about it here is in, in reference to disability, there are things our brain does that to compensate for um, a lack of skill in one area. Um, and it's, it's fascinating because it does it all by itself. It decides, okay, this area of the brain doesn't have, you know, the resources required to handle this task. So let's just send it over to the other side of the brain. Um, and that's, it's really fascinating how the brain can take care of itself. I find that incredibly encouraging. So <clears throat> that is the basic definition of neuroplasticity and what it does. A few facts about neuroplasticity. Um, research has found that people who know multiple languages have improved cognition, especially in the areas of attention and mental flexibility. This again is attributed to neuroplasticity. Um, this is interesting to me because what it tells me is if you're learning a new language, um, like I am currently learning Chinese, of course, learning another language is beneficial in the world, of course, as well as, you know, it keeps your mind strong, but it can also improve things in the areas of attention and flexibility in your mind, which means flexibility is your ability to switch tasks, your ability to take in new information. Um, all of that gains an improvement simply by learning another language. Um, and most multilingual people um, do have these skills where they can, their attention spans are very much improved. Um, and they are able to take in inf information quickly and use it um, fairly quickly. Um, it's something that I've been very, very interested in now that I've 
found this out and it tells me I should actually be, you know, studying Chinese more than I have been. So there you go. Um, so <clears throat> another fact, recovery in the case of a stroke is attributed at least partially to neuroplasticity. As a patient goes through physical therapy, they build strength in affected areas. While this is happening, the brain is rerouting functions from the damaged area of the brain to a healthy area of the brain. This aids in recovery and shows that physical therapy helps more than just the physical body. Um, an example of this would be, say you get your knee replaced. Of course, you go to physical therapy and part of that has to do with building up the muscles in your leg and learning to walk with the prosthetic now that you have it um, inside your body. But also physical therapy focuses on repetitive motions. Um, and while it's, while your body is gaining strength, your brain is also gaining strength and learning how to deal with the new prosthetic within your body. Um, it's retraining yourself how to walk with this prosthetic, how to navigate your way with this prosthetic in your knee now, um, basically how to handle the change in your body. Um, and your brain is making minute neurological changes in order to adjust to your new reality of having this prosthetic. Um, so, and this, this can go on through adulthood. Many people think that your brain is most active when you're a child. Um, that is true to some extent, but neuroplasticity and changes in the brain and your ability to learn continues throughout adulthood. So, you know, researchers are finding that we don't just stop growing or gaining new um, neurons, even if we age, you know, as we age, it continues. So before I get into the next set of facts, I want to take a quick break to find out what NHEG has coming up um, for you guys. So I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be back with more facts on neuroplasticity. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. Hello, and welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. Last segment, I talked a little bit about the definition and um, the reasons for neuroplasticity and how it works in our brain and how it helps our bodies function, especially after a traumatic brain injury. 
Um, and now I'm going to share some facts um, regarding neuroplasticity, things that you might have known, not have known. Now, I mentioned something in the last segment that I want to expand on a little bit. Um, children, although we do grow new neurons, grow new pathways throughout adulthood, children do produce many, 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 many more connections um, during their growth period. This is because the brain is searching for, is responding to the information the child is bringing in and trying out new pathways in the brain and seeing which ones are used most frequently. And then it basically lets the unused pathways die off. This is a process called pruning. Basically, the strongest neurons, the ones that are related to skills that you practice every day or practice often. Um, Language is one of these. Um, If you play an instrument, that's another one. You know, people with instruments, they practice all the time. That reinforces that, um, that pathway. So a little used pathway is pruned back Um, or taken away entirely to make room for another skill. Um, Because children are growing, they tend to sprout these new neural pathways pretty continuously and um, in in great amounts. Um, it, It slows down as we age, but again, as I mentioned in the last segment, we still, as adults, create new pathways. Um, this is why children adapt or can adapt to trauma much better than adults in some cases. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to a new, um, ophthalmologist and I do have to go specifically to a, an ophthalmologist and a neuro-ophthalmologist because of the way my brain interacts with my eye because certain vision neurons were destroyed. Um, And she did the typical test and she looked at me, she says, you know, this is what we hope happens in cases like yours. Your brain has learned to compensate for the damage to the um, optical nerve. So while my sight isn't great, um, it's far, far better than anybody could have hoped for. And that was because my CP happened when I was younger. So my brain had more flexibility to make up for the difference in the damage. Um, This is why... It's, uh, it's advised that cochle- uh, cochlear prosthetics, um, the one, the prosthetic you implant um, into the head in order to help young children hear, um, it, it's advised that these prosthetics be implanted early in deaf children um, 
This is between ages two and four. Development of the auditory sense in the brain is critical during this time. So basically, ages two and four, two through four, there's a lot going on as far as um, growth of the auditory senses. So if a cochlear prosthetic is implanted at that time, it would be easier for the brain to adapt to this new, basically it's a machine that activates the um, auditory area of the brain in order to help the child hear. The brain can adapt to that and, and accept that much easier if the person is a child because their brain is so malleable and so open to new things and not so set in those neural pathways. Um, another fact that I've found is phantom limb, limb syndrome, um, which we'll talk about after this short break from one of our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Welcome back to the show, folks. So before the break, I was going to speak about phantom limb sensation or phantom limb syndrome. Um, you may have heard of this. Amputees will often feel sensation, pain, um, itching, things like that in the area of the amputated limb. So basically, they're somebody who has their leg amputated. Unfortunately, there's not a leg there, but they can still feel sensation as if the leg were still there. Um, phantom limb um, syndrome affects 60 to 80% of amputees. Uh, now, nerves in parts of your spinal cord and brain rewire when they lose signal from the missing arm or leg. As a result, they send pain signals. Um, a typical response when your, um, which is a typical response when your body senses something is wrong, um, and you may feel those impulses in a missing limb until your body figures out that okay, this this limb is gone, and I need to compensate. I need to rewire. Um, another example of this rewiring is when you touch one body part, say your hip or your forearm, your brain might sense it on your missing limb. So again, that's a case of things, your brain trying to figure out things and trying to adapt to this change in your body. And while they do this, it's they can kind of get your brain can kind of get mis mixed up and the pathways can get a bit tangled. Um, <clears throat> usually this does fade. Um, 
but in some cases the phantom limb, limb syndrome can remain. Um, this is also something that chronic pain patients um, experience and it's now thought that chronic pain may be due to a maladapted maladaptive reorganization of the nervous system after an injury. Doesn't matter what the injury is, if you're injured and the nervous system needs to rebuild itself um, and sometimes nerves may scramble themselves causing the nervous system to lose its ability to recognize specific points on the body. Um, thus the pain signals are misdirected. Um, again, with chronic pain, that's the prevailing theory. Um, it's a bit hit or miss because we're still doing research on neuroplasticity and exactly how it affects things. Um, <clears throat> another fact is at the University of Wisconsin, studies have been done with the cooperation of the Dalai Lama in order to measure the effects of short-term and long-term meditation on the brain. Different levels of activity were observed in various areas of the brain. Attention, depression, anxiety, fear, and anger may be physically required due to medita meditation. Um, they may be you know, reduced or improved. Again, I point this out um, because depression, anxiety can be very, very debilitating. And there is good science that says that meditation may help with that because it rewires the brain in a more positive direction opposed to, you know, the typical anxiety and depressive, you know, um, paths that we have in our brain. Um, in addition, exercise has been found to improve spatial memory and executive functions in the brain. I'm going to stop here for a quick um, word from our sponsor before we wrap things up. And... I will see you at the edge of, at the other side of the break. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest growing video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. We are discussing neuroplasticity. So um, the last fact I wanted to share with you is this fact on what they call human echolocation. This is the idea, and I'm sure some of you have heard of it, that the other senses um, are heightened when a person goes blind. Um, that can be called human echolocation, which is a learned skill found in blind people, which helps them navigate their environment using sound and echoes. So again, your brain is rewiring duties that were originally assigned to the eyes. It's now boosting 
your ears, your auditory skills in order to make up for the loss of your vision. Um, research is ongoing uh, regarding neuroplasticity. As of now, we are beginning to realize the brain is much more flexible than first imagined. Neural rewiring has been shown to improve depression, anxiety, and some brain trauma. Hopefully, neuroscientists can increase the knowledge of this phenomenon. Perhaps we can find a way um, to utilize the brain's natural flexibility to regrow new neurons and create new pathways in order to improve the lives of people with a variety of disabilities, not just the ones I've outlined here. Um, more research needs to be done. I am very hopeful and very optimistic about this. I think the more we understand about the brain, the further we'll go in helping people live healthier, happier, and more full lives. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this topic. It was a fun one for me to research. And if you have any questions about it, again, please email me, H at newheightseducation.org. I will see you next week with a brand new topic. Um, and I hope you have a fantastic week. Take care, everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. At One Day University, we feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com.